G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. On this episode, I've got a, a beauty for you. I've got Matt from Becoming a Bow Hunter Podcast. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks, Zach. Thank you very much for having me, dude. Oh, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. I wanted to um, get a few episodes out the way before I could interview probably one of the, the best hunting podcasts in Australia at the moment. So, oh, Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. It's, um, yeah, comes with a warm heart. Thank you. Nah, nah, all good. Um, yeah, you're definitely leading the way in in Australian hunting podcasts, and yeah, yeah, having some great guests on and some great conversations, and yeah, I absolutely love listening to the the podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny we were just saying how whenever you record with another podcast, there's bound to be technical difficulties, and we've gone back to the phone method because nothing else would work online. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's we've had a weekend of wild weather here in South Australia. We've gone from, you know, extreme heat with dry lightning to flash flooding and high winds, so I think the internet Insane. on this side of things it was pretty laggy, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, nah, uh, there's, there's always a workaround. It's like hunting, right? You can always find another way. That's it. That's it. We tried tried uh, two, three different video <laughs> like apps, and that, <laughs> now now we've just gone straight to the phone. We're like, yep, nah, stuff it. Let's let's try it this way. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so let's jump straight into it. Where are you from, Maddie? Mate, I'm up in Brisbane. I'm uh, out in the Bayside now, but I've always kind of been in the city of Brizzy uh, since 2009. So, city slicker through and through, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. So, you you grew up in, in the cities from the start then? I actually didn't. I grew up in – I was born in Rocky and I lived out on a property up at Springshore for like a year and a half. And that kind of gave me like a bit of a, a longing for the countryside, I think, definitely. Um, and then we moved down to Toowoomba and I did most of my schooling years in Toowoomba. Now I joined a hardcore band and we actually, we toured a bit, a bit and we lived in Brizzy. We kind of moved to Brizzy all together as a, as a band um, and lived the touring life and stuff. And it was actually like every other Easter, we go back to the farm that I lived on up to the property at Springshaw. I've still got some family that live up there, my mum's cousins. And so we go back up there um, every other Easter or thereabouts. And we hadn't gone for like 10 years or so. Yep. And went back up and I remember driving back and just having like the biggest holiday blues after being there. Like it was crazy how much of a belonging kind of, it, it just felt like a belonging being back at the farm. And like, I was like, wow, this is where I'm meant to be and stuff. And then we went back to our city lives and I was, I was so depressed. It was crazy to see. Um, I think that kind of opened up the, the hunting world a bit more for me, to be honest. Yeah, beautiful. Well, we'll jump straight into that. How did you get into hunting? Well, dude, it's kind of, I guess, a, a bit of an interesting story, interesting story. So I've also got family down at Gympie that have land, and that land's been in my, my dad's part of the family for a long, long time. Um, and I just went out there for a camping weekend once, and my cousin's husband was out there, and he was hunting. He was going hunting for deer. I was like, dude, can, can I come out with you? Like, that sounds super cool. And he's just, he's got rifles. Um, and so we went out, I think it was just his 308 or something, and he ended up shooting two deer. 
yeah, and beautiful. gave me a leg of meat. Like we, we butchered it all up. I helped him. I dragged dragged those carcasses out. It was a lot of hard work, that's for sure. Um, I bet. And yeah, got the carcasses home and um, helped him butcher it up, helped him skin it all back and everything. And I was hooked from, from where it go. But my biggest thing was I, I didn't have a license. Um, yeah, I didn't have my gun license. It was There was like a, a bit of a barrier to, to entry in the sense of like you have to go and do your day course. Yep. Then you obviously have to wait a fair bit of time. Like stuff that, I just want to get into it. So <laughs> I went and bought myself a trad bow, went like straight to the extreme hard and I started like just shooting that sucker every single day and I got, I got very obsessed very quickly and then we went up to the block at Springshaw and I shot at a pig and completely missed it. And I had like a bit of a realization, like, okay, I'm going to have to learn a lot of a lot of stuff here if I'm going to be successful as a hunter. Like, yeah. I can't even shoot a pig. I'm going to have to learn how to shoot a deer and also be able to creep up on a deer. I'm like, I think it's time to get some wheels. So went and bought myself my first compound bow. Um, and really, aside from my cousin's husband and my cousins out in Springshaw, I didn't know anyone who hunted. So that's what led me to start the podcast. I was like, I had all my podcast gear because I was running a nutrition business at the time with my wife and we already had a pretty successful um, nutrition podcast running. And I was like, you know what, why not? Like, it's a, it's a good way to get the opportunity to ask any question that you want. Um, and me being a complete beginner, it's just a different aspect. I remember listening to, there wasn't many hunting podcasts out that at that time, especially not bow hunting. Yeah. I remember listening to some bow hunting podcast and just being like I just always had more questions I was like what? like I feel like you just missed most of the story why didn't you ask him about x y and z so yeah I just I was like heck I'll, I'll give it a shot and see how it goes and just started hitting up some people who were kind of big on Instagram well-known um who had knocked over a lot of critters and just started asking them hey would you be interested in coming on a podcast like this is what I'm doing this is what I'm planning on trying to achieve um would you be interested in I was blown away with how welcoming the community was. Like for someone who had no idea about hunting at all, had no idea about bows and arrows at all, um, to kind of come in and just be like this super green guy and just being obsessed. Like I, I literally, it's all I thought about. Like if I had spare thinking time at all, I was thinking about <laughs> archery. So I was like, you know what, this is, <laughs> this is a cool thing to do. Like being able to also talk about it on the next level um, when you're interviewing people. So yeah, that, that kind of just kicked off the whole journey of like getting into hunting. So I think I was 20, what's been going for four, four and a half years now. So I Beautiful. must have just been 29 when I, when I started the podcast. So that's when I started hunting essentially. That's, that's an epic journey to get into it. What made you look into getting a bow? Um, like you said that there was a barrier to entry. What made you think of a bow? Like you can't get because there wasn't the barrier to entry. That was literally I was like, you know what, I can go to the shop right now and buy myself a bow. So yeah. I think I I went into my local gun shop and they had some and they had like this little kit and I was looking at it and it, it seemed I just jumped on to like a, a bit of online research and everyone was like, Yeah, stay away from that bow. Um and so I went out to a, a local archery shop and bought myself like a beginner pack as a trad bow. Um and really the thing that made me get into it, I was like, you know what, I see this avenue of being able to um, get our own meat from from the land that we have access to already, um, and realistically, now I'm on the other side of it. Like that's very fortunate because well, I was so fortunate in that behalf because getting access is the hardest thing, as most of us know that's as hunters, it. right? Um, so yeah, I was very fortunate in in that that regard, I guess. Now that's that's an awesome start into it for sure, and like the fact that you haven't been doing that long, doing it that long, and you're just like. 
all right, I need to learn about this. I'm starting a podcast on it. That's just that's just absolutely <laughs> the next level. Right. Oh, it's it's absolutely <laughs> awesome. What a what a better way to there's not a better way to do it, you know. Um, and the people that you've had on, like, is just yeah, you've got mild, like years and years of knowledge from just chatting to these people. Yeah, it's so cool how willing people are just to like. Like, they've spent hours of time doing this craft and, like, probably thousands of dollars to get into it and go on these experiences, and they're just so willing to share their knowledge. Like, there's, there's not really been anyone who said, like, oh, I'm not going to tell you about that. Like, they, they're always That's so it. open to telling you everything once they're on the podcast. Um, the hard thing is sometimes trying to get people around the, the technical um, difficulties that they're scared of, like, they're worried about being on it. And you're like, no, just come and do it. Like, so many people are like, I'll yeah. do one with you in person. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> like, you live, like, 40 hours away from me. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've had a few of them. Like, oh, I'd love to do it in person. But, yeah, you're, you're on the other side of Australia. It's a, it's a, it's a, bit, exactly. hard to, <laughs> a bit hard to do it. But, yeah, just how humble um, – people in the Australian bow hunting industry are and willing to share mm-hmm. and just tell stories, the mistakes that they've made, all of that type of stuff is just absolutely awesome. It's a very inviting community, that's for sure. I definitely like, considering I've only been there for four, four and a half years, like I'd say some of my best mates are now bow hunters, to be honest. Like I, I kind of found them along the way over the last few years and I've just built some great relationships. I had some awesome opportunities because of the podcast. Like, yeah, I'm so grateful for what it, kind of provided like from what started as a i guess a bit of a selfish pursuit in the sense of like i want to be able to learn more but at the same time i kind of put it out there for everyone to be able to follow along with and the other side of that now is like i get messages every week from people saying dude thank you so much like this episode helped me dramatically like i went from not being able to shoot anything to now shooting lots of stuff i had a guy message me the other day he's like i shot two goats and unfortunately they both got away and i just couldn't figure out what was going wrong so i went and listened to a podcast he did with liam woods which was all about shot placement yeah and he's like i went and watched the youtube clip that you guys put up and he's like that was transformative for my bow hunting dude i went out the next day and shot a goat and like it died in front of me he's like just having that visual of where to shoot them like it was just just such a difference compared to where he thought he was meant to shoot versus where you are actually meant to shoot. Just stuff like that. It's really cool. It's very. It does kind of warm your heart, especially because I got into it to feed my family, um, and I've been very successful with that. And now I'm seeing that kind of expand onto a lot of different listeners and, and bits and pieces. So it's cool. Yeah, that's it. It's it, it, the messages that you get from people just blows your blows your way. All the thanks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, I haven't been doing it nowhere near as long as you, but. Um, it's yeah, been been absolutely awesome to see all these people wanting to get into it and giving them advice and um, yeah, it's it's so rewarding. Definitely, dude. I think the the thing that I that blows me away the most is um when guys come out and say like, dude, you you literally saved my mind. Like I was going crazy, I was super depressed, I was overworked, um, I was in the trenches, and yeah. I found your podcast. I got into bow hunting, and I'm completely a, a transformed man. Like it's it's got me out of the rut that I was in. I've kind of found this whole new belonging to a, a different path of life. Like I had one guy who was uh, an ex, um, he was an alcoholic and he's like, man, I just couldn't, I kept relapsing, kept relapsing. And now I found bow hunting and archery. It's been like my saving, my saving grace for the last year. So stuff like that, super cool. 
Yeah, th- that blows me away. Like, we'll jump back into what we were talking about before the podcast started, why we're trying to sort out the technical difficulties. But, you know, the South Australian bow hunting ban, it just, mm-hmm. you know, you get you get stories like that where, you know, people are putting their life back on track through bow hunting of all things. You know, they're making mates, they're making connections, they're putting meat in their freezer, and then you've got someone like Susan Close who's, trying to take that away from from people. Like, it just absolutely blows my mind. It's just a mass un- misunderstanding, right? Like, essentially, they've seen one avenue, and I don't know, like, so many people say it's all just a control piece, right? They don't want you to be able to harvest your own meat. They want yeah. you to be able to, they want to monetize everything that they do, which, yeah, definitely could well be. But at the same time, I think it's just a misunderstanding of, like, once again, the person who shot that, that picture that's been put out by the RSPCA, it's a field point. It's not a broadhead. So whoever's shooting them is not a hunter. They're just some kid who doesn't know what they're doing. They've gone out, they've seen a kangaroo, they've gone and taken a shot, and they've, they've stuffed up the shot. And now it's paying um, it's paying off in a horrible way for the whole bow hunting community. It's really, it's really bad to see, right? Yeah, that's it. Like it's, yeah, it's some, like you said, some kid or, you know, some some idiot's gone to Cashies or one of these cheaper camping stores, bought one of these cheap cheap bow packages and, you know, they they see something that moves so they're just like, oh, let me see if I can hit it. You know, they're, they're not bow hunters. But I also no. don't think that um, Susan Close is misunderstood in it either. I think she is got an agenda. She's been paid off Definitely. by the RSPCA and the, AL, like the Animal Liber- Liberation Party or whatever they are. Um, and yeah, they've got an agenda and that's what they're sticking to, you know, through all this shit that's been going going on. (laughs) It's like I was saying to you before, um, they've just voted the Greens in particular. So down in Victoria, they were pushing for chopper shoots to be used for the meat. They were going to go and get the meat and feed it to all the homeless within Victoria. And they're like, Hey, we can really solve some big issues here and help a lot of people out. Yeah. And the greens of all people jumped on and said, no, we, we can't do that and close the whole thing down. Like that, they were the major, major fight against it. And why it got shut down. I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. Like this party that's meant to be out there for the people and great for nature. And all they're talking about is eradicating these species. And it's like, well, that's not great for nature. Is it like, look at what you're doing. It just, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I wonder if that comes from, like, the place that we shouldn't eat meat. Like, if they're voting against it because they don't think anyone should be eating meat, so they don't want to use all I don't these. know, and that's, that's the crazy thing, right? It's like you look at the science, and this is the hard thing because science can be manipulated to go whichever way you want it to. That's but it. you look at the science and the vegans, their brains are small. It's going to keep happening. Like, <laughs> it's not a great way for everyone to eat. It's not a sustainable way, that's for sure. Oh, that's for sure. Like you use so much more water growing crops than you do, you know, taking an animal. It's yeah, it blows blows my mind. What have you heard from people? Because you know you're the main bow hunting media source in in Australia. What what are you being? Have you been getting lots of people worried, messaging you, asking you what to do? In regards to the South Australia stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when it first came out, dude, there was a lot, a lot of talk and a lot of people just asking like what they can do to help support. And um, I definitely pushed pretty hard in regards to trying to get as many emails in as possible to make them like heard. Like, hey, the, the bow hunting community does have a, a fair stamp of people that might be able to 
hopefully say something and, yeah. and get something changed. I know that we had a lot of people emailing. Um, I was talking to Dan, um, can't remember Dan's last name right now, from down South Australia. Yeah. He was helping me out a lot with like where to go to, what we should be emailing um, and everything like that. And there was definitely a lot of people who were, who were doing it and sending me like receipts and then sending it and stuff. So it was, it was cool to see how many people stood up for it, but at the same time, it's, it's um, at, at one point I kind of came to a realization of, uh, is what we're doing even going to make a difference? Because, yeah. like you said before, if they've got their agenda and they're just always going to push it, unfortunately, even if we had a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, or a million people send in this email, at the end of the day, it's probably not really being tracked, and so it's easy enough for them to just turn a blind eye to that and then say, "Oh, too bad," because we've got this now that we're doing. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time the government's done something like that, right? So, yeah, that's it. You know, I was, I was speaking to a fellow before the podcast tonight. Um, rang him because he had some information. He said that the the heads of the ABA actually went and had a sit down with Susan Close and some other other people about it, and they were pretty much told that they weren't allowed to speak because they weren't from South Australia. <laughs> they said, oh, yeah, ridiculous," which is just. Uh, like you know, they was they were there for the South Australian ABA members, but they weren't allowed to speak or question anything. Why they were there because they weren't South Australian citizens. Have you ever seen like any of the you know how they all go to Parliament House and they they're all in there with all the different parties and they're just yep. yelling and literally they carry on like kids, man. It's Children. so it's actually sick. Watch it. It's like hold up. What communication is being met here? Because realistically, you guys aren't talking at all. You're yelling at the top of your voice. Nothing's being heard. Nothing's being said in a in a manner that would actually be tolerable and probably manageable to actually get a good like a good story or point across. So what are we what are we fucking doing here? Like <laughs> in regards to politics, it's actually it's it's scary to kind of see that that's what's running our our country. <laughs> Well, you can see that that's what's running our country because that's that's the way our country's been going the last few years. <laughs> Very true. Which is the the scary thing. But you know, having having like the head of the ABA come down and just being told that they're not allowed to question anything, they're not allowed to speak, they're not allowed to ask questions. It's actually ridiculous. Is just that that, that fact, why why invite them? Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's just a blind side. Yeah. And you got people like Robbie who isn't an Australian citizen. He's been fighting for us. It just makes you think what everything he's done has um, gone gone through. They've just gone, oh, you know, you're not from Australia. We don't give a shit what you're saying, let alone from mm-hmm. South Australia, which is just, it's absolutely scary. Uh, are you scared of other states following in South oh, Australia? Oh, definitely, man. Like, unfortunately, like, I mean, we've already seen it in Tassie. Australia was only yep. what two years behind, so it, it can be a slippery slope, and it is a scary thing because, I mean, like we said, there's a lot more to bow hunting than just hunting. Um, that is really advantageous for the world of men and women who go out and get to do it. But also, like this has been something that's been passed down since before, like before the age of time, essentially. Right? You think about that bow and arrows are so it's so um, intuitive to man. And it's going to be something that potentially gets wiped out. It's just it's scary to see that that's that's the way that they're potentially taking it. Yeah, um, it's something I really want to be able to preserve and pass on to my kids. I know that's the way that most bow hunters feel. Yeah, that's it. You know, both of my kids, three and a half and nine, they both have their own their own bows, and they have 
ever since, you know, um, you know, the oldest, he's just started taking carp with the bow. The youngest, he's had a few shots at carp with the bow and they're even trying to get um, bow fishing banned in this, this band. They've changed a bunch of stuff around, which is just blows my mind. It's really upsetting, dude. It, it really is. And that's the thing. It's like, okay, well, at what point do they draw the line? Because I don't think it's just bow hunting they're coming after. It then becomes, okay, well, anything with a, with a pointed tip, like does yeah. that then go into spearfishing? Does it then go into, like, what happens with the natives and with their, their style of, of hunting? So they're going to be removed from the, what they're able to do. Um, yeah, I think it, it keeps expanding, unfortunately, and it's really horrible to see because, at the end of the day, it's people that don't understand anything about what hunting is, about, um, yeah, even about the environment, to be honest. Like, they, they see some numbers and they say, this is what we have to do. Yeah. They, they don't really have massive insights apart from a piece of paper. That's it, you know. We'll eventually jump to fishing. You know, we've already seen the RSPCA speak out against recreational fishing multiple times, um, you know, shooting, uh, whether it's pigging, it's it's just all going to start start falling. Duck hunting, they're already picking that off in South Australia and Victoria, which is just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? It's like, well, if they do get rid of all of the um, all the hunting mechanisms, essentially, then what happens, right? What what does actually what becomes the the way of the land? Because I, I know we're not doing um, having a massive impact, but we're having a fair impact on what happens with the numbers we definitely do keep them somewhat at bay and sure chopper shooting is one way that they do it but it's like it costs absolutely millions to be able to do that so is that what they're going to do non-stop and then how does that look on the taxpayers dollars like what does what does it do to the environment i think there's so many things that have just not been well thought out um versus the side of it which is open to us right now where so many people can go out hunting and actually bring home a meal like many meals for their family. I had my sister at one point where she was like in a pretty dire situation in regards to fun. Yep. And I went out and shot her a deer. And I'm like, look, you guys don't have to buy meat for the next few months. Here's a whole deer. Just eat what you can, like cook it how you can. I made it like, I literally, I minced up a whole heap of it for them. I chopped it all up into like prime cuts and made it like completely manageable for them just to be able to um, see, like just to be able to thaw it out and cook it. But that as a situation, like if they get rid of hunting, then what happens for, for those sorts of dire situations, right? It's just, um, yeah, I don't know. It's horrible. Yeah, I've done similar things to mates who needed meat. Started COVID when people couldn't couldn't get much meat from the grocery store. They were coming to me mm-hmm. and I was, I was giving them bags of venison and goat and it's just absolutely crazy. And then like you were saying. How about, awesome is it to be able to do that, right? As well, oh, I though. love it. I love the it. Other side of it. Yeah. It's 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 amazing to share those those spoils with people and they get an understanding of what hunting actually is and what the meat actually tastes like and how much effort goes into it, you know. Occasionally if yeah. we have to go spotlighting to a property um, just to take some take some deer off the property, I'll rock up to work the next day with half a deer and an esky and I'll be cutting it up. I'll be cooking morning smoko for everyone, giving them bits That's of venison, awesome. bits of heart, and then they're taking taking home the rest. You know. Yeah, that's so cool. But yeah, like the homeless thing, like you were saying with Victoria, I drive around Adelaide, so I'm uh, I'm a delivery driver for a a plasterboard company that you know supplies plasterboard to building sites. So the mm-hmm. homeless population the last couple of years has exploded. And you see these Definitely. these food banks, and there's you know bags of bread, and you know others, just you know just shit foods, 
where you know you've yeah. got all this helicopter culling. If they retrieve those deer and were able to process them, they could be you know feeding so many people. And that's just the you know the homeless side of stuff. They could be feeding you know all these families that are struggling with rise of groceries and everything else. It just blows my mind. Especially with how nutritionally dense the meat is, like yeah. and the quality of it, it's absolutely insane. But um, at the same time, unfortunately, like you said before, there's, there's a bit of an agenda that's probably being pushed in regards to what they can monetize, and that's probably not one of them. Yeah, it's it's you know you look at places like New Zealand where they do some stuff like that, but then you look at Texas where they have programs like hunting for the homeless, where you know mm-hmm. they'll, they'll go do helicopter cars on pigs, but they go retrieve every single pig and then they take it to a processor and they make so- sausages and everything out of them and hand it all out to the homeless throughout Texas, like. I mean, it would save it would literally save them so much money doing it that way because all you have to do is pay for the processing. Like, it's, it's crazy. It really is crazy to me. Oh, yeah, I, uh, I don't get it. But moving on to a lighter note, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll jump to the, the gear that you're running. What what type of bow and what arrow setup are you running at the moment? So I've got an Elite Cure, which was their 2020 model, I think, like their, their top of the range 2020 model. I yep. got that actually in hand in 2021 and i love it i've, I've been an elite ever since um i honestly think my next bow i'll probably upgrade to another elite my arrow setup right now i am running the bow hunters domain 250 sharp um and i've got my cougars at the front i'll either use the um i, I kind of keep in my quiver to be honest i'll keep a fair few different broadheads um on the cougar front so i'll either run the the zot or the pilot cut I'll even run the pilot cut with the bleeders. I'll have all three heads kind of sitting there. Um, And then I've actually just recently transitioned to using um, the easy veins. That was a, that was quite a cool shift. I used to just sit there and I I had, I think I had the bolts was the last one I used to use. And I I went out um, with actually Dylan Smith. I was at his house just not so long ago. I know you just had him on the podcast. Um, But yeah, I was at Dylan's house and he had the easy veins and I was shooting these bolts and my, my arrows like flying down range. And his are just so quiet. I was like, wow, that's a big difference. So I jumped on them very quickly straight afterwards. And um, I've been very impressed with how quiet they are in particular. Um, That's awesome. And then, yeah, every once in a while I'll run some some, um, laser LED knocks as well. What's your total arrow um, weight? It sits at about 585 right now. Um, I'm thinking I I might drop that down a little bit. I mean, most of my hunting I really try to keep under... 30 meters if I can um, that's, that's just like ethically where I feel best I, I have taken plenty of great shots at 40 meters but I just know there's a lot of difference that can happen at 40 my arrow drop between 40 and 45 meters is really insane and so I've thought about potentially just making that arrow a little bit lighter so it's a bit more forgiving because if you ever have to have that second follow-up shot um, because dead is yeah, dead is good, but dead is better, right? So that's if you can it. get it where the animal is completely still and on the ground and you know it's passed, um, that's what makes you a confident and more happy hunter in general. So I, I honestly think I might drop my arrow weight down a little bit, like 525-ish or thereabouts if I can, um, just so it's a little, little bit more forgiving on those longer shots. Yeah, beautiful. Um, 125 grain heads, is that what you're running or? Yeah, correct. Yeah, 125. Yeah, beautiful. Um, what about in your pack? What are you taking out for a for a day hunt? Um, what pack are you running? 
So I recently bought the Bushbuck uh, Destroyer Pro, I think it's called. It might be Defender. No, I think it's Destroyer. Um, and that's great. It's, it's a waterproof pack, which is awesome for New Zealand, obviously. Over here, I don't know if it's, it's maybe a bit extreme for it. Uh, what I mean is like it's, it's a pretty noisy pack, like especially when you're pushing through bushes and stuff. You have to really slow down. Um, maybe it's a good thing because it slowed me down in my hunting, but at the same time, <laughs> it, it's pretty noisy. Um, but in regards to the pack itself, like – um, I packed out a whole deer just a few weeks ago and it was the best pack out I've ever had. Like it was so easy. Um, so that, that's been a big game changer. Uh, I think just getting a good pack in general, something that kind of puts the weight onto your hips is well worth it. Yep. Um, did you also ask what I'm running in my pack? Yeah. What, what are you taking out for a day hunt? Yeah. Most of my day hunts. I mean, I've always got, um, a lot of game backs in there and then I've typically got some form of, um, torches and knives in there, um, some form of sharpener, usually like a steel or something like that. I run an FDX, uh, the smooth steel. That's so good. Yep. That's actually like a, a game changer in regards to how sharp it can help your knives be. Um, and then I've often got like a paracord or something like that in there and then a heap of water. Like that's pretty much my day back. Oh, some food, like a, yeah, a few bars or something like that. Yeah, beautiful. What What's your go-to snacks while you're out hunting? Uh, protein bar of some sort. I'll yep. go get, yeah, whatever it is. Uh, being I used to run a nutrition company, um, I've always been pretty particular about my food. Um, like my wife, Cecilia, I'm, I'm definitely gluten intolerant. And there's always been a worry when you go to a new camp, you're like, oh, shit, am I going to be able to eat or not? So I usually overpack food. I'm usually carrying way too much food with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like that, but just for different reasons, just because I, I, I love a good feed. You know, I'll, I'll be out yeah. and I'll take some two-minute noodles out with me or, you know, pack of lollies and I'll be sitting there having some two-minute noodles and a coffee. and <laughs> Definitely. Nothing to have on the side of the hill, is it? A few comforts. Oh, that's it. You know, nice cold morning and you're holding a nice warm cup and two minute noodles. That's it's it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been known to take the camp kitchen out. Um, did you say yeah. how many liter your bag was? Uh, it's a 95 liter dude. Yeah. So it's pretty big. And um, I just kind of, when I looked at buying new pack, I was like, well, I want something that I literally don't have to upgrade. I can use it for a day hunt if I'm just trying to carry out a deer. One of my biggest things was I want to be able to carry out a whole red deer. So with that pack, it's, it's a pretty much does everything I need it to. Uh, it actually had some more space in it um, on the day that I packed, packed out a deer. Um, it was funny. We're on like this massive steep hill and we shot these deer at the top of the hill, of course. And we um, we bushed them all up. There were three deer between three guys and we bushed them all up. I put mine in my pack and we started walking down the hill and one of the guys I was with was like, dude, I can't carry these legs. You're going to have to help me out. So then I ended up having to strap on my back with his with his um, back legs. <laughs> and that was the worst part of it, just the, the weight sitting on my shoulders compared to the bag. Like, that yeah. that wasn't a problem at all. It was just this damn strap. Like, you had a, just this solo strap where you kind of had both um, legs connected to it. It works really well if you don't have a pack. But, yeah, so I had that on top, and that was shitty. So essentially I carried out a deer and a half, which was nice. It's just nice to have that ability <laughs> with yeah, a pack like that. that's it. That's it. I got a um, – oh. Had a complete uh, the Tatonka Bison, the seventy five plus ten, and that's a beautiful bag for that exact thing. I wanted to be able to, you know, shoot a fallow and carry the carry the whole lot out, gut it and just mm -hmm. everything and just chuck stuff it into the bag and get it out as quick as possible. And yeah, it, it works an absolute treat for that. And you know, I've done Snake Island with it this year in New Zealand, and it worked an absolute treat. 
Yeah, that's cool. I literally, um, I've carried that many deer out on my shoulders. And it's very uncomfortable, very unsturdy, like unstable in regards to the hillside you're on and stuff. So a good pack is definitely worth it. Oh, that's it. You know, doing Snake Island, you have to take the deer out whole. So we've we've taped oh, wow. it. Um, we taped it to a to a couple of camp poles I took out with me because knowing you had to take it out whole. So we've had it strapped over our shoulder shoulders, sitting on top of the backpack, but between two of us. You know, like mm-hmm. the old school carry out pictures of you know tribal hunters carrying yeah, yeah. <laughs> carrying animals out like that, and oh man, that, that just absolutely wrecks you carrying carrying stuff like that. I wish I could have just stuffed it in the backpack and carried it out like that. <laughs> Definitely, lopsided heavy carries are hard, right? And that's uh, that's not when you're on unstable territory either. Yeah, it's all sand over there, uh, so it's just oh, horrible. <laughs> sand and fern and just absolutely everything. It's a pretty gnar- gnarly environment. What about bino harness? Cool. Are you are you carrying a bino harness, and what binos are you running? I am. So I always got my binos and my um, my rangefinder attached to me, and so I'm running a Numa one right now, which is just a brand from overseas. I literally they just they hit me up on um, Instagram. I was scrolling one day and saw this ad come up. Yeah, and it just looked like a nice pack, like a nice kit in regards to like the the harness pack as to what it was. It was pretty, pretty much everything that I wanted, like a fold down rather than a fold up um, on my binos. And I yeah. run the Vortex. I've just got the Diamondbacks, and then I've just I've actually got an Audi um, rangefinder that I, I got years ago, um, and I haven't updated it yet. It's probably the next thing that I'm going to upgrade because I need to have something that's got the um, I can't remember what it's called the degree where it changes on the side of the mountain. It'll show you. The, yeah. the angle um, and calculate that because right now my one just shows the distance so if you're, you're trying to aim down a hill it will show like 80 meters whereas you actually have to shoot 40 meters or 30 meters because of the the shot uh, angle and what it's on so yeah the interesting stuff you don't actually realize when you first get into gear i definitely i definitely bought twice on everything <laughs> and that was a, a fair mistake so if you can afford to get into hunting and, and buy once and cry once i would highly recommend it that's it. What about top beginner tip for someone getting into bow hunting or would would that be it? <laughs> well, I mean, that's definitely on the gear side, that's, that's a good one. But I think um, in regards to bow hunting, there's so much that can go wrong with your shot placement and um, with your shot process. And so I honestly think one of the best things you can do as an archer is get yourself some coaching. Um, be that through someone like Ian Summers, who's up in Brisbane, who does the one-on-one. He'll he'll completely tune your bow up and give you a one-on-one session. Yep. Or there's Brad Murphy down in Victoria, um, but he actually has a course online. It's I can't remember. I think it's through Teachable, and I think it's under his name as the Bow Hunting Coach. But if you look him up on on socials, the Bow Hunting Coach, um, or at the Bow Hunting Coach, he's literally got a whole program. The whole first um, module of that program is going through complete proper shot placement, sorry, shot process, and they get you through a step-by-step option as to how to shoot properly because so many people get into it, and it would happen with rifles as well, right, where they just um, they just punch the trigger, and then they can't get consistent shots, you can't get consistent um, outcomes, and then they're practicing an imperfect practice method, which then leads to bad things on animals. So that would honestly be the, the one of the biggest things I could say is, like, get your bow tuned soon on, and get some coaching if you can so you're shooting properly and it will fast track your whole journey in bow hunting, definitely. Yeah, awesome. And I've seen Jack Spinks also has a, a traditional bow hunting course that he's running now too, um, which 
which is pretty cool. Definitely, they tune your bow and everything as well. Yeah, him and Ash Brown. Yeah, that's that's sweet. It's great seeing um, a bunch of those things popping up around the place. Hundred percent, dude. Actually, um, just on the weekend, like not this weekend, but last weekend, went and did a spearfishing course. So I knew nothing about spearfishing. I learned from my mistakes of bow hunting, of buying once and crying once. So I went <laughs> and literally just decked myself out with all good gear, and I went and did this this course and a three day course, and um, I came away like a spear fisherman. I'm stoked. I'm like so pumped on this this new journey where I can keep feeding the family with a, another avenue. That's awesome. Who was who was that through again? It was with Noob Spiro, so Shrek. Yeah, um, he runs the podcast Noob Spiro. Yeah, he's an absolute legend of a guy. Yeah, there's. I've. It's it's funny how. Um, Spear fishing and bow hunting correlate. Like, there's a lot of lot of guys a lot of parallel. That, yeah, between oh, not even just bow hunting, but just hunting in general between spear spearers mm. and and hunters. Um, you know, a Definitely. lot of the local guys that I've had on, they're all they're all started off as spearers and then got into hunting from from spear fishing. Which is you've just had Aaron Whitaker on. Um, is yep. that that episode out now or is that? It will be. Yeah, yeah. It will be when this this is out. So, um, yeah, the, he's he's an absolute gun, and his story from going to spear fishing to hunting is just absolutely insane. Definitely, yeah. I think there's um there's actually just so many good people in the hunting community. I think because it's people who are willing to do um do hard things, right? Like there's a lot of people in this world that are not willing to get off their ass and do some hard things anymore. So that hardship and that that um almost that camaraderie that's built over a hard session of doing something. It's the same sort of thing you see within gyms, right? In a, a gym with a good culture, you'll see people who really gel pretty quickly despite having like completely different beliefs or whatever it might be because they can have that earned hardship. I think you see the same thing within bow hunting um, and probably why, like I said before, why I've got so many mates within it now because that's it. literally you go out and you work your ass off together you get to the end of it and you get to go home with this awesome reward or sometimes you don't and it's still just as rewarding it's good yeah it's really cool yeah the mates that i've made through hunting have just been absolutely insane and like because you're spending so much time together out in the bush you're getting to know them better than you would if you know you're just going Mm -hmm. out drinking and whatever with other mates you know it's it's a bond that's completely different to anything else it's absolutely insane yeah so what about top five items for a beginner beginner what would you be recommending oh i'd definitely say a bow, <laughs> 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 you want to get into bow hunting. <laughs> um i mean yeah bow a good release aid so typically you'll get you'll get a trigger um release of some sort yep. a lot of people are actually transitioning to like a back tension which is essentially where you have to pull against the the weight of the bow for it to be able to release the shot so you can't actually just pull a trigger at all you have to pull back so that's a back tension release there's also a hinge release which is a very similar sort of concept yeah i think getting into those is like a training tool if not your actual hunting protocol tool like that would definitely be something to look into maybe not necessarily as a beginner but to get to eventually um i think some form of good sharpener so be it good sharpener for your knives but also a good sharpener for your broadheads like i think that stuff is often missed yet you really need to look after your tools and make sure that they're as sharp as possible because that's what gets the job done for you at the end of the day that's it um and then i think once again like as, as a not necessarily a tool but just having um your bow in tune like making sure because 
if you get a bow, you can have it shooting great on target, and then all of a sudden you transition it to have your your broadheads right, and you put a broadhead on that shoots completely differently, and that's because your bow's out of tune. So as a lot of people would already know, but just from the beginner standpoint, if you didn't know that, then that's definitely that's definitely a thing, right? Like make sure you that's get your it. bow tuned so when you broadhead and your field points are shooting exactly the same. Yeah, that's great. Great tips, that's for sure. Um, I'd also say. I'm just going to take because I didn't do five. So definitely binos and a rangefinder, like just to top it off. You, or you need one or the other. I started off with just a rangefinder, and yeah. um, I spent a day, I spent a weekend out there just trying to look through my rangefinder to look at small objects and see if it was a deer or not. Um, <laughs> so I definitely recommend binos and a rangefinder if you can, because I, I walked away with sore eyes that that weekend. <laughs> oh, like a decent set of binoculars are just an absolute game changer. That's for sure. They really are. Really are. Like just, I I had a real real cheap pair when I started out, and you'd be looking like, is is that a deer or a log or is that a goat or a rock? And yeah, there's get, a lot of deer looking logs and yeah, rock looking pigs out there. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, just different shadows had had like sunlight hits different things, and the shadows hit different things. Like it's it's amazing how many things look like animals. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you get a shadow that moves. You're like, no, nah, I just saw an e flick. Like it's definitely an animal. <laughs> and then you walk up and it's just like a log. Like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, I definitely reckon I've put on a, back before I had a decent pair of binos, I'd put on, you know, a half an hour stalk on an animal to get there and it was, <laughs> and it was a log. <laughs> uh, <that's> devastating. <laughs> uh, all right, bit of a silly one now. Zombie apocalypse weapon. What are you going? Oh, mate, I would. I don't. Yeah, I'm like I'm actually buying my first rifle for the very first time. I mean, if you can get anything, I'd get some sort of massive Tommy gun or something if I could. Like <laughs> something, I don't know, some sort of big machine gun if you can get whatever it took. Um, That's it. yeah. Right now, my apocalypse is a, a knife and a bow. So until I get my <laughs> rifle when it rocks up, so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think something, something, something big and powerful. Beautiful. What what rifle are you getting? A two four three, dude. Yeah, and nice. Actually, um, the funny situation. I was just a, I was with a mate. We were out hunting one of his blocks recently. And we went and saw the farmer of the nighttime and the farmer just proceeded to show us like all the guns he had. And he, he's a bit of a, a gunsmith in the sense of he actually learned from a gunsmith and has just taken it on as a hobby now. Yeah, so pretty much he's been spending all the time just renovating these guns. And he, he also does it as a sport. Like he, he, he's actually very good, very good at everything he does. He's a world-class woodchopper as well. But um, <laughs> different <laughs> story. Um Anyway, he, he pretty much yeah renovates all his guns and he, he got to two four three and he's like ah oh, get rid of this one I haven't shot it in a few years but it's absolutely prime I love it like I love what I did with it but it needs to go to someone who's actually going to shoot it because it's not getting the love that it needs and he goes you guys should buy it and he, he said he offered it to my mate first and he goes I'll give it to you for this price and I was, he's like I don't have the money for it and he looks at me he's like do you want it I'm like yep <laughs> and that was it so pretty much I put in my PTA the following week and I'm getting this rifle within the next few de- or next few weeks so yeah I'm pretty pumped for it dude what brand is it? definitely now I'll, <laughs> I'll bring up all the details for you in a sec this, and this is the thing right I've never been much of a gear guy as such I, and it was more so on the fact that I trusted him straight away I knew that he was good with what he had um, yeah. and what he does with them but it is the makers of Parker Hale and it's the Safari okay. Deluxe. Yeah, beautiful. So they're yeah, I mean they're a well trusted gun, right, from what I from what I know. And this is like thing, I'm such a noob when it comes to guns. Um 
but yeah, I, I asked a few friends and they're like, yep, great gun, go for it. Yeah, sweet. Awesome. So I take it in being in Queensland, you don't have any caliber restrictions. Is there recommendations or? I mean, yeah, a lot of people are saying you should go 308 straight away um, in regards to recommendations. Um, 243, if you're going to do headshots, if you can do stuff close by. Um, in regards to restrictions, there definitely is. Um, like, I mean, what you guys have the different class licenses, obviously, as well. Is that yes. Australia wide or is that just? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, obviously, you're, you're restricted by that. We're not restricted by, like, the um, – I know in New South Wales, you can't have a gun that folds in half. Yep. Um, like, can't break in half and stuff, whereas we can have that up here in Australia. Oh, sorry, up in Queensland. Um, yeah, you're really asking the wrong dude for all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean more um, more so for, like, deer – like, when you're shooting deer, is there a caliber restriction for deer? Like, in Victoria – um, you know, you're only allowed to take Samba with minimum of a 270. Where here in South Australia, they've got recommendations, but it's not not the law. So you can go out with a 22 and and head shoot a, oh, a, a fallow. So yeah, no, I actually don't know. I've not looked into that as such. I know that 243 is fine to go for hunting with. Yep. Um, because I've done it with my copper mate. So either he's in <laughs> trouble. Or, <laughs> um. But yeah, at the same time, I actually, I've not looked into that. That's a good point. Yeah, that's that's the only thing. Two four three was more than enough to you know take down reds. I know a pe- lot of people that have shot plenty of reds and stuff with them. Um, but yeah, in, in somewhere like Victoria, you you can't use a two four three. I'm not sure what New South is like, but um, yeah, no no Victoria, you can't. I think Fallow is minimum two four three, but I could be wrong there too. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. I'll have to double check into that before I go and hunt with it, obviously. I've got access to, like, friends who have said they're lending, like, lending me their guns if I ever need it, yeah, um, which is also nice. And that's all I've ever done previously because I've had my license for a fair while now. So I've just I've borrowed a mate 308 a few times to go out and shoot deer if I need something quickly to fill the freezer. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the only thing about that owning owning firearms coming from bow hunting is, you know, I might get a morning here and it's just like, oh, I really need to go fill the freezer, so I'll just take the rifle out rather than take the bow. And then if I just want to, want to go for a walk and might run into something, that's when I take the bow. But you tend to tend to start leaning towards the rifle just so you can get some meat. <laughs> yeah, 100%, dude. Like, I mean, with Christmas coming up, um, we're like two weeks away and our fridge is looking pretty dull and we're, we're hosting. So I'm like, babe, I might go out for a day. I'll just take my take a gun and go out for just a day and, yeah, be good to go. <laughs> Come home, hopefully, with the freezer full for the, for the visitors that are coming on in for Christmas week. What was the um, first animal you took with a bow? The first animal I took was a rabbit with my trad bow. Yeah, beautiful. Um, that was up in Springshaw. And then with my compound bow, I took actually, I took two hair. So pretty interesting, you know, I don't know if you've heard about this, how hair, they partner up. Yep. Um, and they've got one partner for life. Yep. So essentially what happened was I was walking back of a night time and I saw two hair just sitting there. But, um, they were just chilling. And actually, most bizarre situation is when I was very, very green still. Um, and it was pretty much on dark and I couldn't see properly. So I dropped down and got my, my torch out of my pack and put the torch in my mouth. And I was like shining the torch out of my mouth onto these, these hairs while I took a shot and got one. And it 
literally just dropped on the spot and the other one ran away and I came over to it and as I came over to it, it got must have been attracted to the light or something maybe and so the other pair just came straight back and so I shot it as well. So I was like, I only learned later down track that they partner for life so I actually felt pretty good about that eventually because otherwise I would have left one of them lonely <laughs> for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so they're actually they're so good eating. Oh, they're, they're great eating and they're one of my favourite things to um, chase with a bow because they're, they're small, they're fast, but they're just so much fun, especially if you get in an area where there's a few of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, they're great eating. So, yeah, that was the, the first two things I took from my two different bows. That's awesome. I think the partnering for life thing from what I've what I've heard with most animals, they say partner for life, but it's only they partner for the life of the other one. So if the other one dies ah. before it, they they go find a find another one. I could be wrong. Interesting. But that's yeah, okay. that's what I heard. I, I I've heard that, you I've know. Definitely heard I was gonna say I've definitely heard of people getting onto blocks and the farmer said you can shoot anything but the head because of that. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I just think um, from what I've heard is that we put our our human emotion in, into that yeah, saying you animals know animals don't necessarily know the reason we do right. Yeah, yeah, that they, they they partner for life, but they you know only partner for the life of their their mate. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So yeah. find out from but, a biologist of some sort. Yeah, that's it. I'll have to hit up Dan and see if he can tell me different. <laughs> yeah, from Eureka Outdoors. <laughs> um. What have you forgotten on a hunting trip? Ooh, uh, probably game bags is the worst thing I've come across. Um, rope, like usually I've got just like a little bit of some sort of cable in my in my bag, and I've, I've forgotten that. Um, yeah, I've been fortunate enough. I've, I've definitely had people forget things like um, the release aid. So yep. you use the release aid, you buy, and had friends forget that and stuff, and that's always a bit of a nightmare. But I've actually been quite fortunate. Knives, like good good set of butchering knives when I've gone up and that's quite frustrating. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say that that's probably like the, the most of it in, in that sense. Yeah, that's... I've got bin bags ones actually and that was a bit frustrating because the farmer didn't have any either. Oh, no. Um, and yeah, that was just a bit of a nightmare because I just wanted to quarter the animal up and I'm having to break the whole thing down and put it into my smaller packs. <laughs> Bugger. Yeah, that's the, yeah. the knife thing. I've heard so many stories of bow hunters forgetting knives and end up having to, you know, skin and gut and butcher an animal with a broad head. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, no. I haven't gone that far yet. Yeah, <laughs> Hopefully, I, never do. <laughs> I, I, I always tend to have overpack, you know, I'll have three or four knives in my pack. I'll have one or two in my binary harness. I'll have spares in my car. So I've always got something. <laughs> do you still have a favorite knife though that you always go back to? Yeah, I do, but it's on the side of a hill in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, hey. it, it fell out my um, bino harness when I was skinning my tar. Um so that was the uh, Gerber Vital, the re- replacement blade blade knife. Absolutely oh, beautiful, yep, yep. beautiful little little knife. Um, I've yeah, lot had and lost two of them in the in the past seven years. So <laughs> yeah, and, wow. And no there one no one sells them um, in store anymore. So I've been oh, been that's wa- I've been waiting for archery supplies to to get their um, ass into gear and get me one in for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's devastating. I'm definitely, I definitely much the same in the sense of like pack many knives, but I still always have like my two that I always go to. 
oh, that's it, that's it. I've, I've the Gerber and then um, the F Dick knives, like you were saying. Um, that I've got a little knife roll with a bunch of them from when I've worked at an abattoir's. So they're just yeah, cool. absolutely great. You know, they'll they'll go travel everywhere with me if I can. I'm not, yeah, I've not tried their knives yet. I've just tried their their steel. Okay, beautiful. Like, and if that technique to go off, obviously their knives going to be good too. Yeah, they have. If you can get a knife roll of those, they make butchering and skinning so much easier. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a good tip. Um, they do an awesome, um, I think it's called like a brisket knife. It's got a ball on the end of it. So when you're running, you won't find a, find a better knife for doing that type of stuff. When I worked at the advertise, you'll see someone like you'd see someone try and break the brisket with a non bald, bald end knife and that'd end up, you know, coming straight through the brisket straight into their <laughs> th- top of their thigh. Uh, it's just oh, an absolute lifesaver. But it's so good for um, you know running down Getting. the legs and all of that as well. Like, yeah, you're not breaking. So I think they. Um, I found mine on Amazon. They call it a gut and tripe knife. For yep. anyone who wants to look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a bunch of different types. I think Ftic do them. Um, Victor Knox do them. Um, there's mm-hmm. a couple of other hunting brands that do like a folding one. Um, so it folds out. That's like cool. a normal blade folds into the handle and then you unlock it and it swings out and that blade goes into the handle and the other knife comes out with the with the ball on the end. But yeah, wow. ab- absolute great knives. Definitely. What would be the most important item you take out with you apart from, you know, your bow and like your your main bit of kit? Um I, I would say, like, if you'd asked me this probably a few years ago, I probably would have said the rangefinder. Yep. But I always play this game when I'm out in the bush now, which is just guess the distance. And so I'll sit there. You still need the rangefinder to make it work. So maybe the rangefinder is still the answer. <laughs> but you look at a tree and you're like, ah, oh, that's probably 18 meters away. And then you range it and see how far it is. Yep. And you just keep doing it until your eyes in. Um, and I do that a lot. Like, pretty much every time I go out, I, I play that game just to make sure that my eyes are kind of sighted in and ready to roll. And it just makes it easier if you ever have kind of that that circumstance where you have a deer or an animal coming to you at the last minute, you don't really see them there, where you can guess maybe like, okay, that's 20 minutes or that, that's 30 or 35 or 40. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably say a rangefinder is pretty unimportant on the bow hunting side of things. No, oh, that's it, just hunting side of things. Um, I, I do the, True, exact same, yeah. the exact same thing if I'm sit up on a game trail. I'll be sitting there with a rangefinder and just picking up rocks and Range, ranging them, tree stumps, twigs, leaves, mm-hmm. and all of that, and just you're doing the same thing you said, guessing the distance and then ranging it. And because of yep. that, I've got a pretty good eye for measurements. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll... It, it transitions pretty fast too, right? Like I reckon it's probably two or three like punts, and it was completely in for me. Yeah, it, it sure does. So, like, I'll find myself arguing with customers at work. Like, they'll be like, oh, it's only a 20-meter tw- a, a walk with a 6-meter sheet of plasterboard. And I'm like, I can tell you right now, that's about 60 meters. <laughs> I'm like, I've, I've got my rangefinder in my in my work bag. I can show you if you want. <laughs> like, look, just to prove it. Oh, it's, it, it's been a lifesaver. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, <laughs> what about sketchy, dangerous thing that's happened to you when you've been out hunting? Um, I mean, terrain. I was definitely on like a slip on the hill once where that had extreme amounts of rain and um, 
the whole it'd pretty much been a landslide and then trying to cross over that that was yep. pretty sketchy um one time i was out and this wild dog just ran straight at me and literally it would have been five meters before he pulled up that's nice and i didn't have an arrow box, so i couldn't kind of i couldn't pull and pull an arrow like pull an arrow back and um, take a shot but he wasn't running at me on purpose like it's not like he was coming to attack me or anything he was just literally running through the bush and kind of looking side to side and just coming and because i was in full camo he didn't really see me until that last minute oh, and yeah. i tried to just feel around and grab something like i was gonna i was gonna try to get an arrow out i just wasn't fast enough for how quick he was coming in um and he literally he pulled up my feet and i'm like oi 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 and he just ran <laughs> off um but yeah, in regards to like sketchy things that have, that have happened i mean i've, I've had a few uh, not really, but a few close misses with a knife where you just, you get tired. Yeah. I, I tend to not try to drink too much if I'm butchering or anything, just because things, I mean, yeah, horror stories happen there. I've heard some horror stories with a knife and the butchering process, like I'm pretty particular, make sure my kids aren't close by or anything like that if I'm butchering up, um, just because of the, the yeah horrible stuff that I've heard about that. So, I don't know, I think um, given that I've come into it later in life, maybe I'm a bit more risk adverse, is that the right word for it? A bit more risk um protective yeah, definitely <laughs> and so yeah I, I haven't had too many yeah crazy things happen yet which is good i can understand that way. i can understand that though like the, I, I take definitely take way less risks with stuff now that i've had kids like when i was mm. in new zealand the couple of the guys that i went with you know they're they're all in their early 20s and they're like oh we'll climb we'll scale up this rock formation and this cliff and we'll go over to the other side and i'm like I'll just stay back around here and hunt around camp while you you guys go do a night trip and uh, an overnight trip up that gully. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, definitely. You hear some pretty crazy stuff in New Zealand. Oh, that's it. Or even just Australia in general, we've got some pretty gnarly terrain as well, um, and people can't definitely. Come do, do you actually do you come across many snakes when you're out in the bush at all? It's it's funny. I've had this discussion a few times. No, I don't. <laughs> I've Maybe while I've been out hunting, maybe ran into about four in the past ten ish mm-hmm. years. Um, yeah, wow. Mainly when I'm bow fishing is when I run into snakes. Um, okay, by the water, obviously. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you're 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 bow fishing in like swampy areas here in South Australia in mm. the backwaters. So I run into quite a few tiger snakes. Um, yeah, wow. I've, I've almost stepped on a couple. Protective, right? They are. They they tend to puff up and make themselves be known pretty pretty well. Um, tend to be quite aggressive, but I haven't had any bad run-ins. Quite like luckily, I've you know almost stepped yep. on one. Like look, started drawing back the bow and looked down as I was about to put my foot down in the mud, and yeah, there's cool. a tiger curled up, curled up in the mud there. I'm just like oh. That made me jump back a bit and change my approach <laughs> on that fish. <laughs> what about That's yourself? Yeah, I honestly, I honestly have not really come across many at all. Like I saw a brown for the very first time the other day, and he saw me before I saw him. And he ducked straight back under the rock he was um, sunbathing on. I had a, a red belly black like come close to me only because I, I could hear something coming yep. through the, the leaves. I actually, I got down and knocked an arrow because I thought it was pigs. So I'm sitting there in this creek bed waiting for these pigs to come around the corner and they just never came, but it's just getting in louder and louder. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a snake. And yeah, sure enough, he, he slid by me nice and quietly or nice and closely. But um, that's pretty much it, man. Like I really I really have not come across many snakes in the wild at all. And it's one of the things that people always hit me up about. They're like, oh, aren't you scared about snakes? I'm like, not really. 
Yeah, that's same thing. Like, you know, I've ran into far more snakes when I've just been out fishing than when I've been out hunting, you know. I've I've been mm. out and watched baby red belly black snakes just feeding on the little mosquito fish, like diving under the water and catching <laughs> fish and then swimming back up and eating them, which was freaking cool to see. But yeah, when I'm out hunting, you don't you don't see see many. Like I've had more encounters with echidnas and stuff like that than I've had encounters with snakes while being out. Yeah, definitely. And same thing, people like, oh, don't you see snakes? Aren't you worried about snakes? And then you're speaking to Americans and they're, they're at absolutely <laughs> petrified of everything we have over here. I'm like, everything. I'm like yeah. Mother- motherfucker, you guys have bears and lions and all of that type exactly. of stuff. It's Big far powerful, scary more, things. Much, much, uh, far more dangerous hunting over there than it is here. <laughs> I can say probably with confidence, death by snake versus death by bear would probably be a lot more pleasant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. After seeing videos <laughs> of um, that fella Todd Moore and a bunch of other guys that have been, you know, l- lightly mauled to say say the least by him. It's, yeah, you know, at least with the snake, you can be somewhat calm if you're not you're not uh, you know s- scared of snakes. <laughs> it's, it's quite terrifying to see what a bear can do, right? Like how they just like break an elk's back by pushing one of their palms into it. Like, imagine that if you got smacked by one of those big old powerful punches. Oh, it's... That would be oh, night, night and day. Like, yeah, nights out, lights out. It's insane how how tough they are. But, yeah, your running with a wild dog would be the closest thing would have to anything like that over here. And maybe if you... you Definitely. Know, you have a run-in with a, a bentang or a scrub ball or a buffalo, um, you know, goring you Angry with a tall... Yeah, angry boar. Yeah. You know, there's there's a bunch of stories of guys finishing off a ball with an arrow because they're like wrestling it off of them. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I've heard some good stories on that part. That's <laughs> yet to encounter it because I haven't run into pigs while out hunting yet. So <laughs> uh-huh, there you go. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, most of the animals in Australia, they're they're more scared of you than you're ever going to be of them. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, it's. That's uh, not even a worry for me being being worried no. about the animals that I'm gonna encounter. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, it's like a rarity. Yeah. What about the funniest thing that's happened to you when you've been out? Oh, funniest thing. That's a tough one. Um, I mean, you always play pranks on the guys you're with. If you go, out. I, I did a lot of solo hunting to start with, to be yeah. honest. And so when you go out with friends and they pull pranks on you, that's that's always pretty good. <laughs> um, nothing's really coming to mind like straight away. We definitely, one of my buddies, he had this, um, he was borrowing our other buddy that we were with. He was borrowing his, um, his GPS system and he left it on the car dash, but my buddy grabbed it. He's like, watch this and just hit it. And we got like three paddocks across and he's like, ah, guys, I'm so sorry. It's like, I've lost this (laughs) GPS. We have to go back. And we played the prank on him for a while just to see what would happen. And it actually just, he, he got too sad and we had to give it back to him. Like, yeah, sorry, mate. We've had it the whole time. Um, but yeah, I think stuff like that, like that's, that's pretty, yeah. There's I, pretty I common know, banter. To mind. I feel like, exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's heaps of stories of, you know, stirring, stirring people up when you're, when you're out. Um, very similar. Like just, they put something down, you pick it up and then, you, you go a couple gullies over and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. 
What about your top five dream animals? Like money aside, if you could go anywhere in the world and hunt anything, what would be your top five dream animals to hunt? Man, definitely moose and caribou are right up there. Yep. They're both um, pretty exciting to me. Um, I'm quite interested right now in the rooster deer in general. I mean, rooster and chittle are both pretty top of mind for me and they will hopefully happen soonish. Um, like I'm hoping to do a rooster trip next year Beautiful. and then chittle hopefully won't be too far after that. Um, what would be number five on that? I mean, just to keep it within the deer species. Actually, I would love to do a mountain lion. That would be cool. Yeah. Would you want to do like spot and stalk or are you quite happy to do like hound where the hounds chase them up the tree and then you shoot them out the tree with a bow? Yeah, I mean, ideally it'd be spot and stalk. That's what I prefer to do most of the time. But I don't know if there's many places that even do that. You can do it very successfully, right? Like most no. of it is pretty much with the hounds and go and do it. So it's kind of um, – is. is Oh, Grant Randy Rand says, "When when in Rome, do as Romans do." And yeah. so, in that sorry, that circumstance, yeah, go out and just do it because it's the way that you got to do it. I actually, I'm just so interested in trialing what the meat actually tastes like. To hear of so many people raving about how good it is. Yeah, just how similar to pork it is. That's that's one thing that I I want to try too. You know, I've had black bear jerky, um, but that's as I would love to try fresh black bear as well. Definitely. Did it compare to any other jerky that you've it had previously? Just tastes like jerky, you know. All dried yeah, meat tastes yeah. very all kind of similar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 The mountain lion. That's that's definitely up there for me as well. Um, dogs. I, um, I made some. Different. What was that? Sorry. Oh, dogs the, would be yeah, different. Yeah, hunting them like bow hunting uh, with using dogs. dogs would be yeah, awesome. yeah, insane. Definitely, yeah. Um, I make my own biltong every winter, and uh, I made up some venison biltong just recently. We've had my wife's family from South Africa just come across, and they tried it, and they were like, "This is incredible!" And they just kept going back for more and more. I'm like, "If the South Africans saying that your biltong's good, you've done well." So I'm, I'm pretty pumped on that recipe, and there's one that I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep using for a long time. That's awesome. Are you air drying it, or are you? Do you yeah, have a biltong like box? a biltong box. Yeah, yeah biltong box is probably that way. Um, Hence why it has to be done in the winter because it gets too humid here in Queensland during yeah. the summer, and you put it up and it just goes mouldy. Oh, that would be that would be absolute heartbreaking. Yeah, so he, gut wrenching here yeah. in South Australia. We've, we're mostly a pretty dry heat, you know. Apart from the this past week, it's been really humid for South Australia. But yeah, mostly a dry heat. So I'll um, do much the same, but I'll hang it outside. Um, on, oh wow! On fishing line and just throw pepper on it to keep the flies off and do it. Do it that way, and that uh, that's the best way to do it. I've found, you know, it beats all, so all other ways of doing jerky. It just you don't. And get, the pepper gets rid of the flies enough. Yeah, yeah. They don't go near it. Yeah, yeah wow. That's it. Um, and yeah, I used to just. So you're need to put some pepper all over my house because the flies are crazy here. <laughs> <laughs> I heard pepper tree works a treat too. You know, when you're out hunting, and you run into that those pepper trees. I'm not sure if you have them up there, but you know, you break no, that up and crunch it. crunch it up and stick it under your hat. That keeps the flies off your face pretty well. Interesting. Yeah, search that up right now. So speaking of. Um, the cooking side of things, what would be your favorite thing to you know, cook with, you know, your hunted game? Well, bro, this is one of the big things I got into bow hunting or well, in my podcast in particular, I really try to share is like, you can literally make anything on a deer or on an animal just taste so incredible. That's it. Um, like for a long time, 
when I first started, many people would just talk about back straps, right? Like, oh, you just take the back straps, maybe the back legs. I'm like, stop that. I'm going to find the things that people don't like to eat and cook them up and make some good meals from them. So one of my favorite cuts, or apart from the heart, like that's literally I, I love eating the heart. I love introducing people to the heart and yep. getting people used to that, like just doing very like a, a medium rare cook up on it, making it, just cutting it out like steaks, a medium rare cook up on it, just salting it with oil um, before you cook it. And then when you get out, maybe like a tomato chutney um, and some, some cheese or something like that, like it just goes so well. It's just like a little a little starter for a meal. That's it. Um, I love introducing that to people, but the neck is actually also one that I do a lot with. Like the neck roasts are actually so good. Doing um, slow cooked neck is one of my favorites, to be honest. Um, but I mean, yeah, realistically, I've taken every cut of the deer and, and made fantastic meals from it. It just takes a little bit more time and effort, and it's not even that hard to do, like in regards to the time and effort you put into it. Something I have just introduced and just bought. Was a sous vide machine. Yep. Have you seen them before? Yeah. yeah. I've, Have you used I've one? got one. Yeah. Yep. I use it all Dude, the time. That was a game changer for, for venison. Like, that's the best, like, most tender venison I've ever had, right? So, I only got it two weeks ago and we've had so much venison already on <laughs> sous vide. It's been really cool. The twice cooking. Yeah. Um, I've, I've done sous vide chops. I've done, you know, back straps, tenderloins. You name it, I've chucked it in that sous vide bag and then, you know, reverse seared it on the Weber or cast iron mm. with garlic and butter and rosemary and So good, right? You know, it's 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 incredible. Um Yeah, heart. What what's your preparation? Are you cutting the heart open, taking taking everything out, like coring it like an apple and then cutting it into rings, or are you flattening it out and cooking it up. I like flatten that. it out, dude. So yep. I'll, I'll take the white or most of the white like um, sinew and fat and stuff off the top. So yep. cut that like an apple just sideways at the top and then cut it into steaks from there. So just cutting the, the ventricles open a bit more. Um, and then inside the ventricles, you'll find like little stringy parts. So I just cut them off and just, yeah, you just do it with a sharp knife and it, um, it works a treat. So just pretty much splaying it out like a, a steak and then I actually cut it into strips from there and do it just as small little strips. You you get the pan really hot, or if you can do it over fire, that's even better. Get it really hot, and then you're just searing for a short amount of time. Like, really don't want to overcook it at all. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful. I um much the, do much the same. I've cooked it in the rings and then flattened it out, like like you've said. But also, you know, diced it up and cooked it with bacon and egg and onion mm. and chili. You find and the garlic. texture's much different when you cut it um, like the circles compared to the, the steaks? Yeah, I find it to be a little bit more chewy when you cut it cut it like that. Um, yeah, okay. But when, when I do it like that, I'll end up just dicing it up and chucking it in with, yeah, just a bunch of, bunch of other things. You know, I'll chuck liver in there as well and just a good way, you know, after a cold morning hunt, you know, bunch of chili, bunch of garlic, um, and yeah, you know, maybe the tenderloins as well and just chuck do it like a big jumble of stuff and it's a good way of introducing good people combo, to, right. to try those types of things, you know, because most people are pretty hesitant to try the offal, you know, they're like, their main thing is, you know, it's called offal for a reason, it's got the word off in it. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. But it's funny because it was like, if you go back to uh, First Nations time, it was what they always went for first, right? Because it's the most nutrient-dense bit of meat. So they, they used to always eat it first. They'd eat all of the offal, and then they would usually dry-age the meat and keep it for, for down the track. Yeah, that's it. And animals are the same. They go for those those nutrient-dense cuts of meat first exactly. before anything else. 
but also like yeah. chewier t- bits of meat. People don't like eating that either. You know, I don't mind a good, you know, a good chewing, like a bit of meat that you just chew on. And that's the same, like first nations and all that. They all went that for that real chewy cut of meat before they went for that real. Why they all had amazing jaw lines. Right. (laughs) See all the round face people now. It's because they're not chewing enough meat. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Rogan actually had a guy on about that and he changes people's jaw lines by making them do exercises with their jaw and, encouraging them to eat Definitely. chewy a bit. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. And That's the other side of it is breathing. Like if you breathe through your nose, it really um, introduces like, I can't remember what it is, but the palate behind your, your mouth essentially can really develop the way that your teeth um, come out. And so yeah. this is something that all orthodontists will know and they'll tell you about. But if you breathe through your nose, you become a nose breather, you actually will straighten out your teeth versus all these kids that are mouth breathing and have been for so long. And then they end up needing um, braces. Like it's crazy what it can do in the, the, positioning and shape of your face yeah it's 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 insane hearing about those types of things <laughs> mm-hmm. just, just like the, the basic skills are forgotten yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters yeah this is an interesting one man because i think um I was always very skeptical about sharing much about hunting at all because it seemed like there was always a very negative light on it. Yet when I share it and I share it in a thoughtful way, um, and I'll explain that a little bit more in a second, I always get a lot of love from just what we'll call normies, right? People who don't go and do anything at all. Um, People who think it's just absolutely fascinating to see the process and to understand more about it like i put up a story series um of my rut from this year and just kind of shared a lot more about the deer and kind of the learnings i had and showed some close-ups with the the girls but no boys and stuff like that people like oh my god you get that close and like just fascinated by the whole process and that that kind of opened my eyes a little bit of like i think people actually they're a bit hungry for it to be honest like they actually do want to know more about it doesn't mean that they're necessarily keen to go and do it themselves yep. but they find it interesting they find it fascinating hence why i think shows like meat eater are able to do so well i think what does put a dampen on the hunting um the face of hunting in general is unfortunately things like a grip and grin and that's what most people want to put up as a photo because it's essentially their trophy photo right yeah but that's also the photo that people see and look at it just as a trophy and that's it. So I actually had a photo with a red stag and I, I put up this big story about just how it was like, this, it was this big journey for me. Like it literally been kind of a long time coming and eventually it happened. I think it was three and a half years or whatever it took me to get a red stag yeah. down. Like I'd had red hinds down before, but not a red stag with my bow. And it was a big process and I just kind of explained it all and was just so grateful about the situation. But one of the photos was me sitting behind the deer with my hand on it, just looking down at it. Like in, in the moment I was just, I was actually just, saying like thank you to it and whatever else but this lady saw the photo and she's like how dare you like this is absolutely disgusting and just went on this big rant and then it was cool to see all of these all of these normies essentially came in and went to fight for me they're like i'm sure if this is a fish you wouldn't give two shits about this like and it's just interesting that the different thought processes that happen on it um but i think i think in general most people are actually pretty interested and most people are pretty um curious about the whole process and knowing that it's so available here in Australia, knowing that 
we have species like I talk about deer and people are like we have deer in Australia. You're like, yeah, like they're literally just around the corner. <laughs> um, it's, it's crazy to think that there's so much that's unknown, but at the same time, I understand it because we are so disjointed from that whole world, right? That's it. Yeah, uh, I have those conversations all the time. You know, customers will be like, "Oh, what'd you do on the weekend?" I'm like, "Oh, I went out hunting." And they're like, "Hunting? Yeah. What'd you hunt?" And they're like, "Deer." And they're like. Oh, where'd you go for that? And I'm like, oh, you know, up in the up in the hills here. And they're like, what? We have deer here, and it's, yeah, it's amazing crazy, the right. amount of people that don't know we have deer. There's you know more stories coming out from news articles, you know, helicopter culling, all the deer that are popping mm-hmm. up through like Brisbane and Sydney and all of those types of places. So it's slowly getting more out there, but yeah, it just blows people's mind. Definitely, I think um, what's cool to see is the amount of podcasts that are coming out and educating a lot more, bringing like the the good word of hunting out. That's a cool thing, but also it's just something that I encourage in general, it's like for hunters to start having more conversations because realistically in Australia it's so hard to get access, and the only way you're going to get access is by more people knowing that you're a hunter. That's I mean, obviously, also being being a good person in general is going to help you to get more access. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a, that's a whole other podcast, right? But within saying that you're more likely to have more conversations about hunting if you start bringing it up and you'll be like, you'll be, you'll be surprised by how many opportunities come up just by talking about it more and more. Oh, that's it. You know, I've, I've gotten a few leads on a few different properties by chatting to customers and different people. They'll be like, Oh, I, you know, my cousin, they have issues with deer on their property or my cousin, they, they, you know, there's deer eating their flower beds or their garden or whatever. It's like, all right. Um, you want to hook us up, give us a number, and I'll I'll give them a buzz. <laughs> Put in a good and word that's the me. best. That's exactly what I mean, right? That's exactly how you gain access just by talking about more because everyone, yeah, everyone's got someone. It's the ripple on effect, and it, it might not happen for ten, but then that eleventh person you're going to find, and you'll probably get given some access or get told at least a story. And it's like a hot lead that you can get onto. So. Yeah, I really, I really encourage like hunters in general just to talk about it more and try to do it in a positive light. Try not to be like, ah, oh, yeah, we went and killed all this stuff. Like, really try to think about it in the sense of, okay, well, this person's they're blocked off to seeing or hearing anything about hunting in yeah. the past, and all they know is that hunters are rednecks and bogans and whatever else. So it's like, well, if you go in and you share that exact mannerism and you show off that that as hunting, then of course that's that's going to be the um the perspective that we always have for hunters versus what I've really tried to do with mine is like showcase the cooking side of it and how much meat we can actually get from one, one deer um, showcasing just different, different parts of the adventure and the mindset and what it does for me and stuff like that. And that's very well received when you talk about from that angle. instead. hundred percent. So how would you change the public views on hunting and hunters if you could? I think in the sense of hunters and what we can do better is exactly what we're just talking about, right? Like shining it in a, in a positive light um, in regards to the way that I would transition it from the public's mind is probably explaining the difference between what a hunter and a poacher is yep. because I think they get mixed in together and that's what kills um, kills what a, a hunter is essentially for everyone because it's the poacher that is the one that is um, – depicted always within the movies and whatever else That's it. and unfortunately they're the ones that give hunters a completely bad name and i think realistically the other side to it is conservation and how much hunters can actually help that world um that it, it just goes unnoticed right like not many people would understand that african animals are still alive because of hunters um which is something that obviously robbie and blood origins have done so well but 
that that whole concept, like if you could introduce that to more people, so getting rid of um, or just understanding what a poacher is versus a hunter and then also just bringing in that light of what hunters actually do for conservation. I think you can kind of share that with more people. More people would be so open to hunting in general. Oh, that's it. We've, um, in South Australia, we've got an open plain zoo here called Monado Safari Park. And, you know, every, you know, once a year we'll take our kids up there and they do like a big bus tour around through the different enclosures or all the different animals and so many of the stories from these volunteers that work at the park. They're like, oh, the reason these animals are endangered is because of hunting. The reason, mm. and just every enclosure, the reason, hunting, hunting, hunting. And I'm just there mumbling under my breath. I'm like, actually, no, the reason why these animals are here <laughs> today is because of hunting. The reason oh, yeah. that, yep. that, that they, they were under threat was because of poaching and farming. Like... <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Like, and I think if you were to explain that to the mass community, it would be it would be interesting to see how everyone started to approach that instead, right? That's it. Like my my wife hates going there with me because I'm just there mumbling, <laughs> mumbling under my breath, like you know, it's like I'm, watching a movie with uh, someone who who asks me questions. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's it. I'm, you know, because I've got bison there, and they're like, oh, you know, this was they they were almost extinct because of hunting which is which is somewhat true but hunters are the ones that brought them back from the the brink and mm -hmm. same with like barbary sheep and a bunch of other species they have there you know a lot of african species and it's just yeah the same same thing just hunters did this hunters did that and it's like no no <laughs> yeah what's interesting and i'd be intrigued to take your like get your take on this um South African hunting for me is not really like high up on my list because yeah. it is all high fence. I understand completely that going over there helps helps the conservation and that side of it. And a lot of it, unfortunately, is just um, a sit in the hide and wait. And that's what kind of dampens it for me. Like I'm not saying I wouldn't hunt yeah. South Africa at all. Like I'd probably I'd probably quite happily do it. But it's definitely not high on my list. I definitely have other places I want to go to first before going across there. What's what's your concept on that? Look, from my understanding on it, like you've got some places that have very, very small high fence, but some of these places are, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 acres and they've just got a oh, yeah, outside the millions, perimeter. Right? Some of them. Yeah, 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 and yeah. that's it. So the animals are living a completely free-range life. Like the fences are there just to keep poachers Definitely. and stuff like yeah. that out. So some of these animals will never even see a fence in their lifetime. So to me, it doesn't bother me. If I had the money, I'd, I'd, I'd go over there and hunt um, because I know that that money's going back into breeding um breeding programs um they're putting yeah. animals back on the landscape in places where there hasn't been animals for a long time so yeah for for that type of thing i i definitely would and i have no like for people that do high fence hunting i've done it um i have no issue with it it's you know better yeah, i mean better for some to, people. right it's like go and do what you can go and do um at the end of the day i, yeah. I don't have any problems with that i think um yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I really don't know what it is. Like, maybe it's just the fact that I have, like, it's very, not commercialized, but you see so much of the American animals, right? And it, it's kind of, it, I think it's so relatable to some of the hunting we do. But I guess, like, a kudu or something like that, like, that's very relatable. It's just a different different type of deer, essentially, right? 
yeah, that's it. You know, you've got all those those African antelope species. You've got warthog mm. and all of that, the springbok, like all these different different animals. And that's what it is for me. Like I, I want to experience what these animals are like, you know, get down and put my hands on them and feel what they're their their furs like and feel how thick their skin is you know some some species of animals like because you know i've been quite fortunate i've been over to mexico texas new zealand um and a bunch of different australian states hunting and taking a bunch of different animals so you just get a different understanding of all all these animals like when i went over to texas i um shot a barbary sheep and ordered you with with the bow in a high fence place and um boiling out and like after caping and boiling out the um skull and the horn slip the horn slip comes off and you know how feral goats they've just got solid bone under their horns yeah barbary mm-hmm. sheep have like a honeycomb soft bone under there so wow. like you cut open the honeycomb like the bone and it's all honeycomb and light and the skull just feels like a piece of driftwood that's you know like just real light driftwood like it's like you hold a goat that's head that's very similar size and the weight difference between the the both is just absolutely insane so without doing something like that i wouldn't have an understanding of what that animal's like Mm. yeah definitely they're interesting critter aren't they oh they, they are they're insanely cool um you know we like, yeah like i said that monado open plain zoo has has some but you're seeing them from a bus where you know i got to put my hands on them i got to eat it you know it was it was a pretty cool experience definitely but that's cool jumping a little bit forward and to the last main the last question what is hunting to you man it's really become um it's so much of what my life is now. Like, it's interesting. I was talking to someone just on socials today and they were saying how they've got a big hunt over to New Zealand and it's helping them to stay on track for fitness. And I'm like, you know what? Like, that's just hunting for me in general. Like, it's given me a whole new purpose. Like, for someone that has always been dedicated to to living a healthier life and whatnot, um, moving into hunting, it's just given me a reason to continue to be my best self daily. Um, I think to see how much it can provide for my family, but not just uh, like on a, on a food side of things is awesome. Like I'd say we probably saved, I'd say 90% of our meat intake for the last two years now um, has been from hunting and I'll try to keep that for as long as I can. Um, But on top of that, like the side of it in regards to what you see with the mental aspect and how much it actually, for me, it's a, it's a form of meditation not just the hunting, like everything from what I do within my archery world. Um, so everything from shooting my bow is very meditative to going out in the bush is just very, it's like, it, it fills my cup every single time. I come back and I've worked my ass off all weekend. I'll be physically just ruined, but um, mentally just so happy. And it just, it, it's just a, I don't know, it's an adventure, right? And it's, a, it's one of those situations where, you get to see some of the coolest, most bizarre stuff because of being out in the bush and you push yourself past comfort levels that you didn't know you even had. Um, and I think just it's a consistent growing piece, something that just is always delivering. So, it, it, yeah, it's been really cool to kind of discover it over the last few years and just fall more and more in love with it as I go. Yeah, that's it, man. Um, 
I can relate to everything you said. And as most guests, they have, you know, very different answers, but all very, very relatable. And, you know, we, we all get, we have different ways of expressing it, but we all come down to the same, the same thing where it's like the meat, the mental clarity, just the being outdoors, the taking in nature, the crazy shit you see when you're, when you're out there, you know, animals being animals. It's so cool. Yeah, it really, it just opens up a whole new world for you. It's so, so worthwhile. If you haven't gone out and had a chance to do it yet, like I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, it's 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 different between just hiking and hunting. Like you're hiking, you'll see an animal and you're like, oh, cool, there's an animal. But when you're actually trying to hunt the animal, you're taking notice of so much more. So you take in so much more of what that animal is doing and its routine. And yeah, you see definitely more stuff because you're way more focused than where if you were just hiking, you're just passing by, you know. Definitely, and I'd argue any day of the week that hunters love animals a lot more than what most people would think, right? Like the, oh, the amount of time and effort they put into an animal and the, the obsession that they have with an animal, like that's definitely a form of, of loving a critter. It's not a, it's not a stance of like, oh, I'm just going to kill it. Like that's all I want from it. That's definitely not what it comes down to. Oh, that's it. You know, you talk to majority of hunters and they'll know more about individual species mm-hmm. than Mm-hmm. anyone else unless they're like a biologist or you know a zoologist or something like that you know hunters Definitely. know their animals and you have to know the animals and you have to love the animal to be able to chase the animal yeah That's yeah it. well if people have enjoyed what they've heard you know i take it most of my listeners probably listen to your podcast um but if they haven't where do they find your podcast where do they find you on social media yeah, so um, the podcast is Becoming a Bowhunter. Pretty much should be on all platforms. So wherever you're listening to this, you can search Becoming a Bowhunter and you should be able to find that one. Um, we've had over over 113 episodes now. So it's been going for a while. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of great content there, especially if you're looking to get into bow hunting. It really kind of captures my journey, but also a whole heap of um, tips and tricks for getting into bow hunting no matter where you're at along the way. Um, and it's kind of been cool to grow as a hunter, but I mean, I'm going to always keep it as becoming a bow hunter because I don't think I'll ever finalize becoming a bow hunter. It's just a, <laughs> an ever growing opinion, right? So, um, people have often said, "Well, you've become a bow hunter now, so what are you going to change names?" I'm like, "No, stuff that." Like the day that you give up on on learning, the day that you probably should put it down. Um, and it's too catchy yeah, as well. Social- <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. Off the tongue. Um, the socials to that. So Instagram is where I'm most active with my becoming a bow hunter. It's just becoming a bow hunter dot podcast. And then me individually, you can follow me at Matty After on Instagram. Beautiful. Awesome, Matty. Thank you very much for coming on. You know, you're a guest that I've been wanting to have on for a while now. I've listened to your podcast for a long time. I love what you do. I love the way you put yourself out there. And I love the way you, you get all the information out there for bow hunting. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Zach. And thank you for taking the time to have me on. It's always cool to see that, like I said before, it's awesome to see how many podcasts are coming out for the hunting community. I think it's just like the more we can get out there, the better the growth is going to be for the, for the, the passion that we all have for bow or for hunting in general. It doesn't have to be just bow hunting, but for all hunting methodologies. That's it. We've had what probably 10 hunting podcasts pop up in this last year, which is absolutely awesome. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Know, we're all in different um, stages of our journey in hunting and 
the outdoors and, you know, you've grown with your podcast from not being a hunter to becoming a hunter. Um, and you know, we're all at different stages. So we're all getting different levels of information out for everyone and kind of catering for everyone's needs. Definitely. I mean, if it's a, if it's an audible learner that comes into it and they're hungry for knowledge, like they could just binge for hours on so many different content pieces now, which is so cool. It's just good that they've got literally almost endless hours to be able to get into if they, if they want to. And like, you'll find the niche that you really like. Like if you want to get into the the long range shooting, or if you want to get into um, rifles in general, you want to get into bows, like there's, there's just that many different avenues and podcasts for you to be able to listen to. Oh, that's it. That's it. And you know, um, we all have our own different personalities as well. So you might gel with one of, one of our personalities. You might not gel with the other, but you know, we're all putting, putting great stuff out there and you know, we all like, I, I recommend everyone go listen to your podcast because it is, it is absolutely great. And you know, when I, when I first discovered it, I think I went straight back to like, you were a, a decent, a fair few episodes in and I went right back from the start and just, because that's all I do is in the truck is listen to podcasts. So I went straight mm, up cool. through and listened yeah. all the way up. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I really do. No, awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on and appreciate what you do. Thank you very much. See you later, mate. Thanks, mate. See ya. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our discussions and gained valuable insights into the world of hunting, fishing, and the outdoors. To stay connected with us and never miss out on an update, please be sure to follow us on social media, all at Hunting Connection Podcast. We appreciate your support and would love for you to share the podcast with your friends and family. Don't forget to tag us in your hunting photos on social media and let us know about your experiences. Your feedback is invaluable to us, so please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Together, we continue growing and delivering more captivating episodes for all hunting enthusiasts. Stay connected, stay informed and keep pursuing your passion for the hunt. Until next time, happy hunting.